<laughs> Speaking of that, I remember my mom always telling me from a young age that, hey, it's okay if you have a, you know, toothache, but just don't have a heartache. I was like, I don't get it. And then when I'm like 23, <laughs> I'm like, oh, she's so right. Always. Isn't that always the way? <laughs> It only like it only I it I absorbed it in my head when I was like in my twenties. I was like, shit, she's yeah, right. <laughs> it's true. And then you hear all these words of wisdom still stick with me now. You know, it's like my mom wrote something like out on a piece of paper, yeah, and yeah. um, and when after she passed away, I I managed to find it. And they keep it on my refrigerator because back then I was just like, oh, okay, it's a piece of paper. Like, great. She's got some wise saying, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, like, Chinese moms always have some wise sayings, right? Like, yeah. whatever. I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh, great. She's the next Confucius, whatever. But, no, you know, no. I just always respected and loved her, like, dearly. We were very close. But, yeah. you know, now that looking back at some of the things she said, I'm like, oh, wow. Man, if I had just listened to her 20 years ago, I would have been so much more evolved. <laughs> right? No, that's the thing, though, with me as well. Like, my parents, like, I don't know why, but it's just that the things that they say to us only registers, like, probably 20 years later. It's like, and then you just walk past, I'm sure you still walk past um, the message that your mother gave you, and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And I don't have kids, you know, but I work, I've been working with kids in social work for years. And I'm like, remember, I said this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wait, not their mother, social worker, not their mother. And I, I know. Have to like back myself up because I'm like, whoa, like now I'm just starting to sound like my mom. You I know? know, I know. And it's even more prominent as you grow older. Like as a kid, I hate my mom. But when I grow up, I was like, oh, I'm turning into her. Yeah. <laughs> it's true though but you know what's interesting is there's so much value in your early relationships right and it's like yeah, yeah regardless of how you might have felt about her you know because I was very close with my mom yeah. not as close with my dad but even now I look back at what my dad wanted for me and yeah. even though like he was my, I connected a lot greater with my mom. Like I under, I understand now his reasons for doing what he did, even though I might not have agreed with the way he did them. So, you know, as you get older, it's like you understand it. And it, and in the same way that like you want to not be that person, but you want to take the pieces of it that, um, that you res that resonate for you and incorporate into who you are. And then eventually you have kids, like how you parent, you know, yeah, so yeah, I'm, it's sure. I'm sure your mom actually has the same sense of humor like you oh, and yes. she's beautiful like you as well. <laughs> she was that she was that woman that everybody was just attracted to, yeah. you know, like her energy. Um, I am definitely my mother's daughter. Like mm. I'd love to say I'm my father's daughter, but I'm not. We're very mm. different. Yeah. Um I have the same drive as my father, I think, but I have the same passion as my mom, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I'm close. It's the same as well. I'm close. I'm close to my dad, but I think I resemble my mom more. I have my mom's patience. We're the same, though. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um. Oh yeah. Uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought, but <laughs> I enjoy talking to you so much that I'm like, okay, what should I do next? I go um, off on just so you know, I go off on tangents, and I also blame that on the meds. So. Oh. You know, I think I should start doing the same thing. I'm sorry, Amanda. I'm actually on, you know, um, medicines right now. So forgive me if I lose my. Exactly. You see. I mean, oh, God. the truth is, though, like realistically, like as a public speaker, I definitely hmm. have noticed a shift in my ability to to retrieve words from my mental lexicon and actually have them come out of my mouth the way they in my brain. Mm. So I have noticed a, a, a very big decline and I oh, like to mask it with humor <laughs> because I no. think it helps. <laughs> no, I know it's the same, but see, that's another thing as well. I mean, this is for another topic, but that's another thing. Like I was just talking about humor with my, one of my best friends earlier on today. And I was thinking that I think some people don't understand 
how I do the same as you is try to cover things with humor. And some of them would be like, wait, you're supposed to be serious. But when you're in so much pain, when you have been through pain, I'm not saying that everyone hasn't, but you just naturally turn to humor just to counter that pain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the way the way... It... I feel like there is something very healing about smiling, even if it does cause pain, right? Because smiling actually can hurt, and it does hurt me sometimes. But there is there is almost like a chemical reaction that my body has when I'm happy, you know, mm-hmm. because the level of endorphins that start running and the um, and and in your body. And so I think for me, it's like it it is it is actually a counteraction, like. Even though I feel like I want to cry, crying hurts and then just gets gets me like in a low place. Whereas yeah. if I'm happy, even if I'm in pain, like the chemical reaction of like um, endorphins from being happy actually helps me, you know? So, True. so like from a scientific point of view, like it makes sense to use humor you know yeah it's true but in societal like in society itself people will be like wait what's wrong why are you i because i have i I don't laugh at funerals itself but i have friends who've gone through trauma and you know child abuse and stuff like that so there was this one time where i actually had a friend who actually laughed like she was she was laughing her ass off at a funeral (laughs) because it's her dad that passed away. When that happened, I was like, okay, shit, she's really yes. feeling it? Okay, I'm yeah. going to let her do that. And then it registers, the pain registers later on. Yeah, and you know, something like uh, like that type of trauma, I mean, from a, from a clinical perspective, like everybody has their defense and coping mechanisms. Yeah. And for somebody like that, you know, again... Uh, whatever her reasons for doing that, like, I don't know, because I'm not, you know, I don't know her, and I don't know her motivation, but, you know, in some people, like, in some places, like, celebration of life is way more important than a marking of death, you know, Mm -hmm. some people, that is normal and natural to celebrate that, and, and to be happy, and for some people, it is a, a, whether it's an adaptive or maladaptive coping mechanism, it is what that person needed to do in that moment, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it's about thinking about it and breaking breaking down what it is, you know, what is the motivation behind that? Or was it just sort of a gut reaction? Like, what was, what was that person emotionally feeling? So, you know, for me, I think being happy is way more important in life than um, being in pain. And, like, sitting and wallowing in pain is is while we all have our moments of doing that, staying there is just maladaptive to life. Yeah, that's true. That's actually like, we were talking about this, like for problems itself, we, we there's nothing else that we can do but to deal with it there and then. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, is like, we don't have as much as I was brought up as a control freak. Like the mm. truth is, we don't have, we don't have control over everything. I don't have control I don't have control, really full control over when these attacks are going to happen. I have an idea of when they might happen, but like, yeah. again, I don't have full control over them. And so, you know, the only thing I have control over is how I respond. True. And so for me, it's like, you know, I would, I would rather, I would rather have my moment and then enjoy the good ones. Right. Mm-hmm. And like be really 100% authentically in and enjoying my life when it's okay or when it's tolerable than when it's not. Um, because if I sat in the place where I, this sucks, I hate it, it's, you know, all the time, then yeah. what kind of life would I be living? Then I've really given up full control to the illness. Um, and it just, that means it now defines who I am. And ultimately an illness is an illness, but it's not, it's like what, what you have, it's not who you are. You know, so I don't want yeah. ever the essence of who I am. Yeah, that's true. You were saying that um, it's gotten worse ever since um, the video of MSNBC, right? Yes. But is there any particular, like, go-to that makes you feel slightly a bit better than usual? I mean, I think acupuncture, honestly, has been my saving grace. Mm. And it's me eight acupuncturists to find the right one. Um 
So it was a two year search. And he's like in his late 70s. So I'm like terrified. Oh. I'm like, please don't ever get sick. And that like <laughs> moment where I'm like, you know, and his son. So he's he's a pretty famous guy from China. He lives hmm. here in Brooklyn. And um, his son also is an acupuncturist. I'm like, you're watching everything, right? You're learning everything. <laughs> I'm like, you're making like, sure over this business right like because I'm always like he's like 78 or 76 and I'm like please please do a lot of acupuncture on yourself like please because <laughs> I'm like terrified I'm like you're not young and I'm worried <laughs> yeah no I don't but oh he, he lives a long life he lived a long life 78 yeah. and I would love for him to stay around forever because it was it took years of searching for the right one. And I've actually sent several people to him. Yeah. Um, several people with TN who have found, to, who had some really good results. So, you know, he's traditional Chinese acupuncture. He uses these excessively long needles, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know, the fear of getting like a seven inch needle in your face is like the hardest part of the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I always joke around with his, his, you know, he doesn't speak a lick of English, really, mm. very few words. So my bro, in my broken Chinese, I'm always like, this hurts, you know, it's really quite comical. It's really quite comical. But his son speaks English and I'm like, you are going to take over this business. Like, you really are watching everything he does, right? You know, it's really terrible no but it's, i would do the same thing amanda i would it's so I, selfish it's so selfish and i'm like please don't ever die <laughs> you know? no, I, no but you have to because how long did it take you to find like a over two how, years yeah over two years geez. of searching for him and eight acupuncturists and like investing like time because you know acupuncture is cumulative so you have to go for for many sessions before you start feeling the difference and so I would invest at like I invested months at a time in one place you know yeah. and massive amounts of money and then I found this like guy who charges $40 and I'm like well, this can't be good you know I'm like but <laughs> someone suggested him famous in China all right let's give it a try you know um so yeah so I got very I'm very fortunate and got very lucky because I think for me acupuncture has really been my saving grace yeah. Um, and you know, when you work full time and you work several jobs, it's, it's hard cause you, you really do have to carve out time for your self care. And I've never been one that's been good at that. And so I've tried yeah. better at it. Um, but I have this terrible Asian guilt that still sticks with me when I'm like, Oh, you shouldn't be sleeping on an all Sunday. Like you have things to do. Oh, we're the same, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, no, it's the same. I was like, this morning, it's just, it's just, yeah, it's still a Sunday for me here. I'm like, this morning, I woke up at like nine. I'm like, no, I should have woken up earlier. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. It's just, it's, it's the, it's the conditioning. I like to call that, I like to call that conditioning. But yeah. you know, I'm trying to. Um, uncondition myself to believe that I'm, you know, and I think that concept of like, you're worthy of your own love, you know, love for yeah. yourself. And that is something that I've gotten better at, you know, like, I'm also one of those people that never says no to anybody. And I've gotten a lot better about being like, no, I can't do that today. Or I can't go out. Or that's good to do that, right? You know, it's terrible how much I actually have gotten to like it. <laughs> No, yeah. I know. I know. I totally understand where you're coming from because it's the same. I I am a yes person as well. So when yeah. you say that, I can relate because for me, when I started off, I was like, yeah, no. And then I would feel bad about it. And I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> and, and, you know, the idea of putting yourself first is so important. And I don't look at that as being selfish. I really do look at that as being taking care of yourself, you know, and I think the fact that I'm I'm still even a productive member of society with mm-hmm. you know full time job a full time and two part time jobs and you know contributing changes it's like you know oftentimes I I don't take myself 
I don't put myself first, you know, but I think it is hugely important. And I've gotten so much better about it that now I'm just like, guys, it's really good on this other side. Like, you should try it. Join me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, come along for the ride. You'll realize (laughs) how much better you you are for it and how much more you have to give. You know, when you have to give, you have so much more to give. Yeah, it's true. And when you take care of yourself, you can actually take care of other people better. I mean, you know, all of those sayings, like, you can't give from an empty vessel. And I was like, yes, I can. I've been doing it for 30 years, you know? And I'm like, (laughs) well, but at what cost, right? Like, it broke down my body, essentially, to the point where now I'm, I'm having to deal with my body every day and figure out how to work with this body that I've now abused, essentially, you know? So when I get a young person who's like, you know, 16, 17, they are, they're newly diagnosed to TN. I'm like, okay, you're young. Like, let's work with this. Like we can work with this, you know, when you're 40 and you're like, you've been, you've been like giving and giving from, from, and like from nothing for years, even know how to slow down, you know, it's like, it's a lot harder. When, when you had, when you said that it got worse, like how worse did it get like is your triggers more is the triggers worse yes and yes um (laughs) so you know again like I started with classic one Mm -hmm. uh branch one left side then I ended up with classic one and two then I got ATN one and two Mm -hmm. and over time like so in the beginning what what was great is that I did really well on medication for a while where I was not pain-free but I was having very few, uh, very few, like what I call attacks or mm-hmm. shocks or relapses. And then over time, it was it was more frequent, uh, more often, more intense. And now I go through literally seven months at a time, nonstop. Where usually, like before, I would, you know, three years ago, I was going through like maybe a month, you know, a month on, a month off, a month on, a month off. And by off, I mean like tolerable but not gone um so I would have flares that would be like for a month then they would it would steady and then it would go again and then it would steady and then and now what I'm having is straight months like seven months at a time you know where it's just bad and then I'd get maybe a lower flare like you know maybe for a month or two and then it would kick up again. Um, so the attacks are getting longer, they're getting more painful, mm-hmm. uh, more frequent. But what's great is that I stand them a little bit better. And so each time I have them, it's different triggers. Yeah. So like, so for the, for the one that I had last year, it was literally brushing my teeth was undoubtedly, no matter how I did it, going to set off for like two hours, set me off for straight two hours where I couldn't function, like could not move, could not function. Like, you know, so I I figured out like, okay, so I need to make decisions. Like I can't call out of work today. So am I going to brush my teeth? You know, like, is it really, you know, like you figure out ways to, to, to handle what you need to handle. Like, am I going to get up 45 minutes earlier because I know I can't miss this day of work. So I'm just going to have to like get through it, you know, like that kind of thing. Am I not going to drive to work today? Am I going to take a cab or am I not going to take public transportation because I don't want to end up like falling out in the subway, you know, like you make better decisions when you, when you have it for longer because you start to understand the patterns so yeah. on some level, like I considered it like terrible, but also a blessing because I got to understand, I got to understand that flair better. You know what I mean? True. Yeah, it's true. But it, the good thing is you think of like 10 steps before of everything before you actually do it. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you're able to, you're able to like, cause I can't control it. Right. But I do mm. understand things that I know are going to make it worse. So you know, I, I had, it, it made it easier to make decisions when I had it for longer because I knew, I knew exactly what that flare, what, how that flare worked. Um, you know, and it forces you to slow down and really look at like, what are you doing in your life? What are you prioritizing? So, 
you know, on some level, I was grateful for that long one this year. I've, yeah. I've um, you know, it's been a rough winter. You know, Singapore is a great place for my body during the non-wet season. I don't have as much pain when I'm in East, Southeast Asia, in any part of Southeast Asia. So every, I travel there quite often. Yes. Um, that's, that's a good thing to hear though that, that, that means that your pain and your triggers here in Southeast Asia are lesser than when you're in the States correct so yeah. and, it's, and everybody's different right so some people yeah. like dry heat some people like the cold for me what I, what I have realized is that the places that I do best in are actually warm humid areas don't ask me why um, so warm <laughs> Humid areas I do better in. Like I could live in the Caribbean for the rest of my life. I mean, I can't afford to live there or yeah. figure out what kind of career I could do from there, but that would be my like ultimate place to live. And, you know, my husband and I have talked a lot about moving for the sake of my face. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, being born and, and live, live, living in New York, it's really hard to give up New York. Yeah, I've heard a lot of my friends say that about New York. They love it there. It's hard, you know. I, there's a lot of conveniences that I have here that I wouldn't find anywhere else, you know. And so yeah. it is It is a hard switch, but we are really seriously considering it now. And now that I've said it out loud publicly, I mm. feel like I'm just going to have to will that to happen because we've been talking about it for five years because the winters here are very hard for me. And so is I've really had a cold Yes, it's cold, and um, this winter was particularly hard because the shifts were really rough, so yeah. we would have a 70-degree day in the middle of winter, and then we would go down to, like, 30 or 20, um, and that's Fahrenheit, obviously, but um, so it would vary greatly, greatly from summer-like weather to, like, b bust out your winter coat and the scarf that covers your entire face. That's a um, huge shift. Yeah, <laughs> that was what I, I was hearing, though. It was saying that the winter in New York is, like, ridiculous this year. Yeah, but nobody believes in global warming. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it's been rough. And the, the rain, there's been a lot of rain, too. There's been a lot of barometric shifts with rain, snow, mm. like, and dry sun. So it was a tough winter. I think it was a tough winter for a lot of TN people in New York. Yeah. Um, and it still is tough. So I'm hoping that at some point it levels out a little bit because the shifts have been, the barometric shifts have been pretty hard. And so I think, you know, that, that has really gotten me to the point where I'm like, maybe we really need to look at a place that's a little more steady. Um, yeah, there's always Singapore. <laughs> there is, if I could afford Singapore, <laughs> Like, you're out of life there I actually would move there tell um, me about it it's expensive here <laughs> it is expensive I was actually think, considering uh, KL for a little bit oh but that's I, actually quite I, good yeah they apparently they have a good medical system there but I don't I have I did not get to visit like I had wanted to um because I chose like instead of choosing like planning life I chose to climb a volcano instead <laughs> Because of the like choices you make when you're across the across the world, you know, like do I yeah. want to live? My, do I want to plan for my life? And I'm like, well, I want to live my life. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Priorities first. It's true. <laughs> like I'd rather live. I'm over here. I want to. I've always wanted to climb this volcano. Let's go. You know. Yeah, because you know, like you have to go for it. Other than you know, just worrying, like, worrying, like what you're going to do for the future. There's just some moments in t in life where you have to be like, yep, nope, got to do it now. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because, I mean, my upbringing is, is very rigid in, like, plan 10 years in advance. And, like, yeah. you know, this is the way your life should be. And so, you know, I grew up under this conditioning that, like, I always had to plan for the future. Yeah. And then when you get TN, you kind of like, oh, I can't plan for today. You know, like, yeah. I can plan for like the moment you know and how am I going to handle right now and so it was basically it kind of turns your life upside down if you're somebody who's like type a planner um yeah. but I am so much better off for it now although my husband might disagree because like I'm like I'm like oh let's go do this and I'm like actually no nah, I don't really feel good 
I'm just going to do this instead, you know? And he's like, hey, you know? I'm like, I'm not wishy-washy. I'm just going with the flow. So, you know, so on some level, like, it's actually great. I just yeah. swung lead opposite side, and I think he didn't meet me as somebody that was, like, totally, like, live by the moment. So it's an, it's been an adjustment for him. <laughs> Oh, all right. No, but that's a good thing, though. I, I, I am cu- curious about something else. Did you have to go through any surgeries for TN? Yeah. So, um, it, so interestingly, so there is a there's a bunch of different options, right? So there mm-hmm. is the there is the um, most invasive but higher success rate of the microvascular decompression or MVD. Yeah. Um, and then there's also the there's also a bunch of different other ones. There's gamma knife, um, which is like laser technology. There's rhizotomy. It's like all sorts of different treatments. Unfortunately, I was not a great candidate for the MVD one because um, for many years they couldn't find a compression. Yeah. Um, in of the nerve and essentially MVD, what they do is they find the compression. They place like a, a piece of Teflon, a padding essentially in between the nerve and whatever's pressing on it. Mm. The problem for me is that I was so lucky that I was born with like an asymmetrical brain. <laughs> and I always, mm. I always why I'm so creative. But um, <laughs> my brain sits asymmetrically in my head. So the reason why I don't have space is because I don't actually... Like, I literally physically don't have space, and, like, they can't shift my whole brain. Yeah. So, so realistically, the fact that they can't, they, they can't see a clear one on the, MV, on the scan, which doesn't mean there isn't one. It just means they can't see it. On top of the fact that my brain is already squished on the left side of my head, hmm. it's like putting in a pad isn't going to help it because it's just going to create more pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not a great candidate for the MVD, which is the one that has the highest success rate um, over time. And so for me, it's like um, my choices after that are not as good. And so I personally made the choice not to do the gamma knife, not to do radiation. I have personal issues with radiation only because of, you know, my own life experience with my mom and yeah. some close friends and I, I chose not to do the radiate the one that's like a radiation, a yeah. pinpoint radiation. Um, and I chose not to have my nerve cut off because you can still have phantom pains. Um, you know, and so a lot of the, the, the surgical options that are out there don't have great success rates. And for me, it's like some people do come out worse. And it was just a, it was a, a, a conscious decision that like, I am functioning and I want to be functioning for as long as I can. And that those options were not on the table for me. Um, The MVD I would have considered, and I did consider many times about taking that risk. Uh, And some people have some good success with it for many years. Um, And I actually know a few people who the, uh, the person who I communicate with at the facial pain research foundation had an MVD like 40 years ago and he's still pain free. So, you know, some people do have really good success with it, but it's, um, it's not everybody. And some people have good success with it for, uh, many years and some people don't have any success and some people come out worse. Um, the research that is out or the little research that I know is that the sooner you get it, the better your success is. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm 20 years into, to having it and 10, 10 year, 10 plus years into diagnosis. So at this point, it's kind of, I think it's pretty much off the table until it becomes so unbearable that I want to just cut my head off. So I'd rather you just go in and try, um, True. but I'm not there. I'm not there. Okay. Yeah. I, however, this is a sidetrack though. I'm, I would love to see a visual photograph of your brain asymmetrical <laughs> yeah I know I was like when the when the um the neurosurgeon said that and I was like well that's why I'm a little crazy that's- <laughs> <laughs> and he's like okay <laughs> you yeah, know, when you, 
virgins aren't really like you know they don't have the best bedside manner and like yeah urologist is funny as hell like he's he's like a he's so hilarious and we joke around all the time um but the neurosurgeon you know they're very like heady so they're he was just like okay i almost get you but i don't really you know? <laughs> then i told my neurology he was just like you're nuts like he's laughing at me he's like, yeah, that's you when you said that i was like wait well how do my brains look like now i'm wondering <laughs> yeah that's so why you should get the mri and find out well i know i should i should do that my migraines are getting worse and worse now that's why i'm like is it ring- it's crazy no it's not rain season there here no it's oh, no it's humid as hell here now it's hot right now you don't have the the temperature on me right now but it's humid as hell for right now do you do better in do you do better in um in dry weather mm, no i you're right that part you're right. i do worse in dry weather do you do worse in cold weather yes Because I was in, where was I? I was in London and during Christmas, I think, Daddy. last year. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so bad. My migraines were like, it's not, because I would have them daily, but at different timings. When I was in London, it happened to me. Like I was keeping a smile on my face because I was on a holiday with a friend. But the migraines were like, it's like every hour. And I was taking care of my diet. Like every day I was trying, I was making myself the guinea pig itself i was like should i eat these let's let's see what would happen to myself but it was so bad you're right though weather actually plays a part um have you tried any alternative uh options so i'm gonna sound like a complete wackadoo and i'm totally okay with that but i have found actually some relief in essential oils mm. uh, oh yes that's right <laughs> And I I do I actually gave my a mix that I made myself that I you know just testing things over time mm. I gave it to some, one of my friends who suffers from migraine so whenever she feels one coming on she uses it and she said she it doesn't come on full force. Mm, okay. So I'll send Thanks. you some. Give me your address and I'll send it to you. Um, and you can try it. Um, but I I actually am a little bit wackadoo in that sense because I'll try I literally will try anything that's not um. That's not surgically or pharmaceutically based because yeah. for me, it's like having, and, and this is the, that control thing for me is like being able to try something that's a little more natural and a little less dependent on human error <laughs> or yeah. pharmaceutical error is really important to me. Um, and so, you know, and again, that's my personal thing. I don't coach people to do that at all. Yeah. I want to feel do what feels right for them but for me it's like I I'm into like you know but I grew up like this right like I grew up with my mom being very alternative and she was into crystal healing and you know Reiki and like all yeah. the different of like eastern practices that are are not as common here you know um so I'm really into all of that stuff and I do find that whether it, it's placebo effect or not You yeah. know, the that it works for me is important. Yeah, it's true, I think. I don't know why, but I think, like, natural medicinal solutions are much more better. I think I'm saying that just because I'm biased because I had a drug allergy before. But I think for yeah. uh, TN itself and migraines or any chronic illnesses itself, I think tra- uh, natural, you know, medicinal solutions are actually better than pharmaceuticals. <laughs> And again, I I would 100% agree with you. And that, again, is just my opinion. And I don't yeah. push opinions on other people. Yeah, but yeah. I do agree with you. And after having being allergic to like 14 medications and puking my brains out, I'm kind of like, yeah, this clearly isn't the route for me. You know, <laughs> I've tried your way. It doesn't work. Let me try something else, you know. And so, yeah. uh, again, as growing up as a Chinese person, like that was... My, whenever I was sick, my mom didn't give me, like, you know, pharmaceutical medication. She'd be like, okay, I'm going to go get, like, some Chinese herbs, and I'm going to cook them in a soup, and you're going to drink this. Yep, <laughs> you know? yep. That's how I grew up, you know? It's, so, it's the same here. <laughs> so, for me, it's 
like it's just natural and normal that like that would be the route I would go. And, I, you know, the more I thought about it, I'm like, here I am with like buckets of medications, none of which are really solving or helping my problem at all. And again, I take two, which right now, which have been helpful in reducing, you know, the amount of, um, the amount of shocks that I get. Mm. But, you know, the, the thing that really helps the most in like my everyday life is acupuncture and I take Chinese herbs and I, um, I meditate and I meditate with crystals and I'm, I'm like totally wackadoo and, um, and I, I use essential oils and, you know, for me it works. Like everybody needs to find what works for them. Yeah. I agree with you. How about it, Amanda? I think we should open like a herb store. Let's do it. <laughs> well, there's a million here in New York. So like, I'll have to move to you because there's like a million of them. It's, it's kind of interesting and amazing how many people are, moving into that world of like um naturopathy and holistic ways to heal yourself because i think people are realizing that the medical system you know is is failing many people and the reality is it's like these medications like i mean you're going to get me on my social work political high horse now but yeah. the pharmaceutical <laughs> companies really run really run the capitalistic system that we have so if if pharmaceuticals didn't exist we wouldn't have the system that we have here in the U.S. and so you know it's so almost like a a self it's like people are almost brainwashed to believing that like that's the only way um and my opinion so not everybody would agree with me and that's totally fine um you know but I I have a friend who a TN who has TN Mm. He's an immigrant. He came, he, he's been here, he was here in the U.S. for a long time. Then once the opioid, um, he was addicted, he was addicted to opioids for pain relief, not for, um, like, because he was addicted. Like, he needed opioids for pain relief because he had been taking them and he was not an alternative medicine person. Mm-hmm. And they, they started putting, like, strict regulations on it. And so what he ended up doing was going to the black market um, because they wouldn't let, give him his meds because they thought he was med-seeking. He wasn't med-seeking. He legitimately needed it for pain relief because he believed that, that there were no alternative methods. Like, he, was, he had bought into the idea that pharmaceuticals were the answer, right? Yeah, that's true. Up, he ended up going to the black market to buy, to buy opioids because he couldn't get them through his doctor because they were like, we're putting a note in your chart. You'll never get them from anywhere. And he was like, I need them because I have CN and I'm in a lot of pain. And, you know, doctors aren't really, you know, they, they're just following laws. Like they're not looking at the reality. They're not educated about people with TN. And so he went to the black market and it was laced with something and he OD'd. Oh, God. And he's still alive, but he left the country because he was like, this isn't working for me. Like this system isn't working for me. But you know, the, then I go into a social work meeting for my job and they're talking about the opioid crisis and how they've developed this um, new drug to counteract overdoses. And I'm going, but you created a lot of the overdoses because you're forcing doctors to highly regulate opioids with no with no education about the people that actually need them for actual pain versus yep. med seeking, trying to decipher the difference. So what you've done now is made more money off of creating a drug to counteract a drug that's on the black market because you're forcing people to go to the black market. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the cycle. And so now he's, he's back in another, back at home where he came from in another country in Europe and mm-hmm. he's all meditation and, finding natural remedies, he's doing great. Wow. (laughs) So it's like, you know, I mean, again, everyone is different. And if you believe that 12 medications is what you need to take, then great. Let's talk about how you can work with those 12 medications and still live your life. You know, it's my personal choice. It's not my personal choice. So, um, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's pain is different. Everybody's responses to pain different and everyone's um view on the medical the medical world is different but you know i i i do i do a lot of awareness about um and education about things but i also do awareness for 
research to finding a cure because I do think that, you know, um, it is still important that the medical world figure out how to, how to, how to help people like this. And I do, and I don't necessarily believe that it's going to be a pill. Um, you have a feeling it might be a surgery and I would be the first one to be like, all right, I'm trusting you neurosurgeon to go and open up my head. Um, while making jokes. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) And you better have a good bedside manner because I'm coming out laughing. You know? <laughs> Just don't rewire the, the don't rewire my humor when you're in there. We're good. True, true. Don't touch that part. I'm fine. Leave, leave that cortex alone. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you know when you were talking about um, opioids, right? Um, this is one writer that I heard, Johan Hari, I think that's the name. I discovered him from Joe Rogan and it's funny Uh how he was saying that um, he was talking about the opioid um, thing that you were touching on just now and he was talking about how I think it was Switzerland or was it Sweden I'm gonna sound like a total noob when I do this but I think it was Switzerland that actually has specifically he was living across a clinic that actually um, has heroin in it so that people would actually come into it and actually uh, get heroin, yeah, heroin uh, prescription, but controlled. So that they, but the thing is, they can only have it there in the clinic. That's how they control um, the drug users in Switzerland. Wow, right? For him, I think he did. Uh, I think he did some stuff for the Huffington Post, if I remember correctly. And, um, and he does talk about like the war on drugs. Um, I think he did something, I think he did a Ted talk on addiction, if I remember. Yeah, yeah, it's Correct. that way. Cause I was, I was looking at that as well. I was like, this is actually quite interesting. It's quite true. What he did. Cause he came out with not, he came out with facts as well. Since where you were touching on opioids, I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, like I, I think, you know, I think the problem is People are so busy on finding responsive strategies or, you know, what I would call responsive strategy to a problem to looking at um, proactive strategies. Right. So, like, if you do education to doctors on on the people that require these medications, then maybe they would be better able to decipher the difference between somebody who is med seeking versus somebody who actually really needs it. Right. And so. Yeah. so I think that's a proactive strategy where you could save a lot of money, a lot of a lot of citizen money, like our tax money to to look at like ways to do put in proactive strategies versus responsive strategies. But I think the that um, U.S. in general is always it's just like we're going to be responsive instead of proactive and like responsive is great to like put out a fire, but like why don't you look at like what's starting the fire first, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's so much about like similar to the work that I do in schools now where I coach teachers on like the appropriate uh, social emotional development curriculum and how to work with kids that have behavior challenges. It's like, yeah, responsive strategies are good when it's too late, but let's also look at like proactive strategies. Like how does the kid's behavior occur? Right. Yeah. It's like, antecedent to everything so it's the same idea like it really is a very similar concept to this this problem or epidemic that they claim that that, that we have you yeah. know that's why when I was watching Johan Harry I was like wait this reminds me of a bender <laughs> <laughs> well, it's great. true Okay, I'll have a TED talk <laughs> please please you know I'll be cheerleading even all the way from Singapore I'll be like yeah I'll go Amanda yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my, you know, some of my mentors, I, I've been super lucky. New York is great for that, you know, the yeah, connections yeah. that you can make here. And I have a, a very amazing mentor who actually has her own podcast, which is mm-hmm. kind of amazing, and you should actually listen to it. It's called The Perfection Detox. No, um, no. Yeah, which is great for those of us who are raised in very, like, strict Asian cultures of, like, yeah. you're not good enough. A minus is the Asian F, you know, I'm, like. I'm actually writing this down. The Perfection Detox, right? Perfection Detox. Her okay. name is Petra, Petra Colburn. She's been one of my, she's a friend, but also like an amazing mentor for me. And she, 
she does a, te a TED talk, which is um, absolutely amazing. And, and her, she has a book as well. And it's really, it's really helped me understand a lot about sort of that idea, especially as women about that, that idea that we have to be perfect all of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, she's really helped me to understand a lot about not just, I've had several mentors. I've been very lucky um, about, you know, and she's a public speaker, like a motivational speaker that does international work. So she might be in Singapore at some point, but you know, it's, it's a really interesting concept to, uh, to learn about sort of your own self-worth. Um, yeah. Check her out definitely because she's, She's pretty amazing. Oh, like in that, <laughs> that work is pretty amazing. I find it very interesting. But um, she had a TED talk, so I'm always inspired by her. Yeah. She's like, you write a book, and I'm like, I'm trying. <laughs> are you like in the future? Is are you looking into like uh, writing a book? Is that what my... um, Yeah, you know, I think. I think that uh, the some of the lessons I've learned and the yeah. ways in which I have navigated sort of the illness, I think could be helpful to other people. So that would yeah. be my motivation for writing a book. Um, I'm really fulfilled in what I'm doing right now, which is to is my work in in social work in schools and working with families and teachers and um, and the health coaching business and the program developments for fitness. So I'm like super happy. But what I am doing is sort of writing down every thought that I have. Yeah. And hoping that someday I can translate that into a book that will um, just sort of help and inspire people to live authentically. And I think yeah. it's really going to be based out of my own experience through chronic illness, because I am not a guru by any means in any anything, but I, mm -hmm. I what I can speak from is personal experience, and I think that's really what what um, what is helpful to people is to understand people's travels through their own experience. So, you know, I'm not going to write a how-to. It's not my it's not my thing. Yeah, not now at least. That could change, and I'm open. I'm so waiting yeah. for you to write a book. Nice. I'm so going to buy that. Yeah, I think it eventually would be nice. I'm not the best writer. Um, <laughs> but hey, you have a sense of humor. With really humor, you can go everywhere. I would love to have a good editor. You know, right now, my, my realms are really more in public speaking. Yeah. Uh, because there's something about being in person with someone and connection that I think is so important. And connecting through a book is much harder. Like through words, it's much harder. Mm. You're writing and reading versus like, unless you're visual like that. But I'm, I'm more kinesthetic. Like I need to feel the energy and I need to like speak to you and feel the connection that we have. So, you know, I haven't figured out how what I do well translates into a book format. But eventually I'd like to get there. Yeah. Yay. Sorry. Excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to, since we're we're coming to an end right now, but I'm just thinking whether you have any words for you know the people who might be suffering in Singapore from TN, like how what they can do to minimize the triggers and you know just word of support because I you know when you talk about like it's true though when you talk about TN and the privileges that we might have like having a for me having an okay job that I can actually eat organic stuff there might be people who won't be able to do that so that gave me the idea that if I do open like an opening here with this podcast uh, episode and then there are people who actually you know DM me and say hey thanks for I think I think it's actually quite good if I start thinking about helping the people who can't get like organic stuff and take care of the diet or probably just going to the doctor and stuff like that probably I would yeah, just flesh yeah. inside my head. <laughs> I mean, I do think that I, uh, the only advice I have for people is to um, is to is to really it's a process, and I think everybody is in a different place in that process. But I think getting a diagnosis first and foremost is the most important thing if they don't have it, right? Because once you have a diagnosis, then you know what you're working with. 
then you can look at, you can explore your options then. So I want you to remember that since I'm telling you, since you don't have to. <laughs> I was like, yes, mommy. <laughs> no, I would. I'm planning to do it soon, though. But, you know, I think that, that um, for people who think they might have it, that's really the most important. And for people who are already suffering with it, um, you know, everyone is in a different place and everyone's acceptance of it is in a different place. I think that the most important thing is that you realize that it doesn't have to define who you are, that it's more important that you realize that it is just, a, a, it's just a fit. It's just something you have. It doesn't mean that you are, you are TN. And I think a lot of times an illness like this, it sort of takes over your life and it becomes now everything is based off of this illness and how you just based off the illness. And I think it's really important to find ways to live your life despite of the fact that you have this thing. Um, and again, that's not an easy road and some people need help in doing that, you know, and, and if there is education or, or if somebody does want, you know, some sort of help in doing that, you know, they can contact me through either you or through my website, faceofchange.org. Um, I do a lot of, a lot of work with people and coaching with people, but you know, again, that's that's not something that everyone can do or can afford. But I'm happy to always connect with people because I do think having support is really important. This is not an illness you could do alone. Even though I tried for seven years to do it by myself, that was a hard lesson for me to learn. That this is not something you can do alone. You do need the support. So whether it be from somebody that you pay to help you work through stuff. Or if it's just somebody that you allow into your life to open up and be able to support you in that way, you can't do it alone. And you shouldn't do it alone. Um, and, you know, fear is, is, is the biggest, it's, it's the biggest um, emotion for everyone in general. But for people with TN, I think that's, that's the hardest piece. And so being able to trust somebody um, if it's not, a, a, if it's not, um, you know, a coach or just trust somebody in your life to really confide in and to see you through it, um, is really, really important. And I think you need to have that. And, and it's great to have a network also a network yeah. of people who have similar illnesses. And there are a lot of online groups that have that. And a lot of people are part of them. Um, everyone has a different reaction to those online groups. Um, because they tend to they tend to fall on the negative side, mm. uh, you know, where everybody is usually complaining. But there are places where you can get good information, um, you know, or to find other people in your area that you might want to connect with. Um, but I'm also happy to provide any education or resources that people need. Going back, the reason why I was so intrigued and I really wanted to know and I really wanted to help was because of the tech that they call it the suicide disease, you know? Yeah, you know, that's a, it's, so here's the pro, here's my problem with that, that tagline is that people then uh, embrace that tagline. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As somebody who doesn't, um, who's worked in mental health for many years, mm. uh, that's, that's sort of an, it's, it's what you read about, right? Like when you Google t trigeminal neuralgia, that's what you read you see about. It everywhere, yeah. That's what, that's what like, worries me, yeah. It's a little antiquated in the sense that, like, yes, it was, it was nicknamed that because there were zero treatments available. So people mm -hmm. would just suffer in pain until they wanted to kill themselves. And mm -hmm. the reality is there are days that you want to, you want to, like, you're like, is this all worth it? And, like, that's, that is the reality. You know, that the pain yeah. gets away. sometimes you're like, if I could just cut my head off and be gone, I would. But like the idea behind nicknaming and illness that is is hard because people take it at their word, you know, and and what happens yeah. is that you start focusing about how much you wanna end your life and how much pain there is. And so True. personally struggle with that that tagline. I understand that that tagline or that under that that is a, a real feeling, um, but it's not. It should not be the feeling all the time, right? Like, True. and so it. I get it. Like from a media perspective, like you know, I think my one of the articles, uh, one of the first articles I ever did um, 
interviews I ever did was in Daily News when I first came out and I was public. Yeah. You know, the thing it said was suicide disease. And, you know, I had a really hard time with the fact that it said suicide disease. And I said to the to the uh, writer, I was like, you know, I have a really hard time with the fact that you wrote that. And they were, you know what? But guess how many people read it? Oh, no. Sorry. So yeah, I, get but- the, I get that. I get that it, it is a media tactic in a way. And it's true that that's how you feel at times. But I just want people who have TN to understand that it doesn't mean that's that's what it is. Like, yeah. it doesn't have to be that way all the time. It can feel like that at times. And trust me, I have been in that hole. We all have. You know, last year I was in that hole when I was seven months of not eating and barely making it to work and um, in and out of the hospital and, like, showing up to work. Like, the minute I got released at, like, 8 a.m., I was just like, this is this is unbearable. But, like, yeah. it's not always unbearable. Yep. You know, it's not always unbearable. It's unbearable maybe a percentage or, for some people, a lot of the time. But that doesn't mean you're not going to have days where you could live. Yeah. And- want to live and so that's that's the hard part about that that uh label label yeah i'm not a fan of labels in general Mm, me neither Um, that's why i got worried in the first place i was like wait what suicide disease okay maybe it's a scary tactic but let me just read through it you know it intrigues you but in a way it's actually an alarming constant worry to you know see headlines like that (laughs) Yeah, well, it puts in your mind, right? Like, in some ways, it puts in your mind that, like, it's, it's like, subliminal. It's like, oh, suicide disease. That means it's so bad you want to kill yourself. So, like, yeah, it's true. you're thinking about, oh, my God, I just want to end this, you know, versus, yeah. you know, there's so much of that in the media now anyway, like, yeah. everything. So, especially in the U.S. right now, if you, if mm. you know anything about our political climate. And yeah. so... Tough. It's tough, and it's always the media is is really big on pushing for those types of things, and I get it. But um, you know, I also understand from from a ground level, you know, perspective as someone who's experienced it, that that's also that can also be a detriment to people who are really trying to um, figure out how to live. And it's it's hard enough for people to believe that we have TN anyway because it's not yeah. recognized by the World Health Organization. A lot of people don't know what it's what it is. There's there's no real clear understanding of its of its uh, root. You know how people get it. That, like it's not well understood in general. And so, yeah, you know that just creates another level. So, you know the last yeah. thing we want. People already think we're faking it. So the last thing we want <laughs> is, is for evidence. You know, like media evidence saying we are faking it. You know. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like the media, like with this kind of headlines, they're taking away um, the real problems behind it, you know? There are there are definitely opportunities and support systems and networks out there that are really trying to make change. The Facial Pain Research Foundation is one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, 100% volunteer run and, um, you know, it. they, like all the money that we've raised for them has been... Um, you know, by just donors who believe, you know, believe that that we are a group of people, you know, that, that really struggle and really need the support. And, you know, they're, they're the ones that are doing the only research that's out there and it's all privately funded because we have no public funding. Yeah. So they can find you at facethechange.org, right? (laughs) Yeah. They can email me straight through there. Um, I usually, you know, I usually, if you email me in particular, then I usually mm. get it. If you email the face of change.org, it usually goes through somebody before it comes to me, but I usually get it pretty quickly. So, um, so I'm happy, you know, I'm happy to, to speak to, to anyone that needs a little support or just needs some direction or education. Um, I'm a bit, you know, I'm, I'm, what I what I've gained from being a social worker is the idea of resources and networking and the importance of, um, you know, the having a group of people that that are that are on your side. So, 
if I can create that for somebody, then that I've done everything I've wanted to do in life. Okay. It was so honored to have you on the show. Thank you, Amanda. I'm going to talk to you off the record right now. So. <laughs> Always. So how was the learning process? Did your brains melt yet? I don't know why I'm doing that voice. Anyways, if you're listening to this episode and think that you might have TN, please consult a doctor and get an MRI. Don't worry about the MRI cost. Just head to the nearest polyclinic and you'll be assisted from there accordingly. We're lucky that we have polyclinics. There are some hospitals from my research that deals with TN specifically and I think one of it is Singapore General Hospital. Other than that, if you do want to contact Amanda in regards to any questions about TN, the link to her Instagram is in this show notes below or you can head to www.facethechange.org O-R-G. With that, I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I had fun doing it. I think this will be one that I will remember for a very long time. Until the next episode of A Dossier or Offsite, don't forget to check our Instagram page at a.dossier or our Facebook page for daily updates. Have a good one, sweethearts. Bye!